Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Kent, we're so excited to have you here. He's just a wonderful, wonderful, compassionate-hearted man. I want, I want us to welcome Kenton Moody this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Doug, and I'm, I'm excited to be here. One, because I don't know any of you except those that I met right before the service. This is the first time to be here. Uh, um, the Roberts really picked us up as missionaries uh, based on what they had seen in El Salvador, and uh, you guys have been faithful to support us the last nine years that, that uh, we've been working there, and I'm here to say thank you. Thank you for being a missionary church. Thank you for loving the world. Thank you for investing in the lives of others because you are making a difference. And for me, that is so exciting to see a church that, that wants to be full of the Holy Spirit, that wants to, to reach out around the world and is concerned about their own community as well. So praise God for, for CT Church. Praise God for what you're doing. And thank you for all the, for the offerings. And uh, for me, it's important to come because I want to put my face, the face that I only face I got, you know, but uh, put my face before you because I want you to pray for us as well. And it's really important, the prayers of, of the church and uh, those that really believe in God's power, that you pray that God's going to do miracles in El Salvador. And uh, we need that. And I'm going to be speaking towards that and share uh, more about what God's doing there. I want to show you a video. It's just a way of introducing uh, what God's doing there. Take a look at this, and then I'll re- be right back. I'm Kenton Moody, and my wife, Aonisa. Hi. And uh, we're Assembly God missionaries in El Salvador, and Santa Ana specifically, and I've been here for nine years. Many of the things that we've done has just been to work with the poor, and uh, God has opened many doors, one of them being the Hosanna School, where we're at. Uh, we started uh, the Hosanna School in 2013 with 132 students, and because there was a need here in the area, we're the only private school in the area, we're the only Christian school in the area, and it just became a place of refuge. God's placed that in, in my heart, and now we've grown after uh, almost six years to 430-something students, and we have Kinder 4 up through high school. We live in a gang area. I see the gang members every day. They're here at our school. Some of them come to church. And people in the United States here at MS-13 or 18th Street, uh, they hear President Trump saying they're worse than animals, that type of thing. We know that they're young people that haven't had a dad, that maybe haven't had money or education or opportunities for education, but they're still somebody that God can change. And I don't know how, but I know he can. I do know who. That's me, that's Ewanisi, that's our team that we work with. We know that all the glory and the honor goes to God. And we know that we are building lives through the work that we are doing with these children. I love all these children just like they were my very own. We only want the very best for them. God's led us there, working with children, working with youth, and then to start the church to be able to incorporate them because we found Many times the churches were not really willing to reach out to the children or youth or accept them with all their baggage. 
with their behavioral issues, with, with all that goes on in their life. Uh, but we are. We're, God's given me a lot of patience. God has changed me a lot. He's changed me into a person who wants to serve Him. He has changed me and He has brought happiness into my life. Now I'm happy going to church. In our last nine years here, we founded a church, the Open Door Church. We have the Center of Hope. We have the Open Door Clinic. We have the Hosanna School. We're trying to reach out in every area that we can. We've built more than 400 homes for people who are in need. The truth is, it's very important for me. I was very worried that my house was going to fall down. This is a great blessing from God. We want God to bless you in a great way, and we know that God's going to bless you, and He's going to give you an abundance for what you've done for me and my children. This house is really a gift from God. Now the time has come to do something even more to help our country and to help the young men that are caught up in this wave of violence, that are caught up in the gangs. And so that's why we're establishing a program called Living Free. And this is a place right here. We've purchased five acres close to our church, close to our school. And our idea is to start a halfway house or a teen challenge center, a rehabilitation home for the gang members and help those that are rescuable to find freedom in Jesus Christ. But I for me, it's a blessing to be supporting my husband because he's a missionary that God's called here. And it's a privilege to serve God alongside my husband. Our mission is to love people and love them into the kingdom of God. And if I love somebody, I have to help them with the house. I have to provide a clinic. I have to do the school. And here at the school, our theme is building lives through biblical values education with excellence and with love and for me that's key to it just because somebody's poor because somebody is a single mother that doesn't mean that they deserve something less no they deserve the very best and God's called us to do that Well, that gives you a little overview of what God's doing there. And in just a few minutes in El Salvador, our, our church service starts. We have church service Sunday morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and uh, in the evening. And God has, has been blessing. El Salvador and, and our mission is so much about people. You saw Maria, who was on there, and she was telling a little bit about her story. Maria and her husband uh, were in another community uh, where I was working. I was working in squatter communities, just people that had taken over a piece of land. And uh, Maria's husband had previously served God and fallen away. And so I was encouraging them. They'd come to church, but they, at, on occasion, would never accept the Lord. And yeah, talking with her, she'd simply laugh. I don't, I'm not interested in anything about God. But God spoke to her, and she came to church and got saved, changed her whole direction of her family. About a year later, uh, her husband was killed right outside the school by gang members. Seven o'clock in the morning, as he was going to work, he was actually working in construction at our church, and uh, shot him, took the picture for their leader, and, and ran off. Never caught the people that did it. And she was a widow now with four girls. And uh, God was really the only thing that was able to su sustain her. You saw what she was doing there. We were able to establish a... Uh, what we call a snack shack, if you've been to campgrounds or that type of thing, and put her and another widow to work, and she's able to make money to provide for her families, put her children in school for free, 
and God has made a difference in her life. But that started with, with her coming to know Jesus Christ. Another one of the young men that was on the video, his name is Melvin. Melvin comes from the community behind uh, our church. I, I live and I work in Santa Ana, but Santa Ana is made up of a lot of little communities because we live out on, uh, we work and live out on the edge of Santa Ana. And so they're made a lot of, of little communities, but all of it is divided by gangs. And so uh, our church is right on the Pan American Highway that runs from Canada to, uh, to the end of Argentina. And one side of the, the Pan American Highway is a MS-13. The other side is an 18th Street gang. And where our church is located uh, used to be the place where they came to fight and uh, would, would attack each other. And God's made that a place of refuge. And so we've taken the people from there, from the different communities, and also plugged them into our school. We're talking with Melvin here just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I. And Melvin uh, came to us. He said, you know, you've seen the struggles that I had. And we almost kicked him out of school several times. And somebody that was smoking marijuana, somebody that was involved in the gangs uh, as well. And he said, but through the school, God has changed my life. And I just want to tell you, thank you. He's about 19 years old. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for not giving up on me. And so making a difference is being uh, like Job, having a lot of patience and being willing to see the long term on what God wants to do and being willing to do it as well. Uh, approximately seven years ago, in fact, we celebrated our anniversary uh, just a week ago uh, there of our church, uh, God spoke to me to plant a church. I'd never been a senior pastor. I'd always been number two or number three or whatever uh, on the pastoral list. And the reason I didn't really want to plant a church because I worked in other areas, but the reason being that many of the churches there are legalistic and wouldn't accept the young people and the children that we were winning to Christ. And so we felt like we have to do something to reach out to them and, and make a difference in their lives. So many of the kids are abused. So many of the kids live in poverty. So many of the children uh, have backgrounds that, that would disturb us emotionally or even spiritually. Before I ever went to El Salvador, God spoke to him and he said, every child, every youth, every person has a name. Everyone has a history. And you need to know what that history is. You need to be able to uh, understand what their name is or uh, be able to speak their name to them. And so God's enabled us to do that and to draw them in. Melvin is simply an example of that. Others, we could take you down the, uh, a list of those that, that are there uh, working and, and ministering alongside of us, and God has done tremendous things in their life. But what's impressed me the very most there is to see how God reaches through all the barriers that one has, through the poverty that one has, and is able to touch the heart for Jesus Christ. Amen? And you guys have been a vital part of that, and I'm so grateful for that, and thank you for that. Um, whenever uh, I was with, uh, on the trip with, with Pastor Doug years ago um, in El Salvador, God spoke to me. Uh, they were actually giving away food packets, and God spoke directly to me, not an audible voice, but he said, Kenton, if you don't return to help these young people, who's going to do it? And my inclination was to say, Lord, you can see, hey, I'm the international director of Convoy of Hope. I'm traveling on all over the world. Hey, we have feeding programs here. But the real answer was that if I didn't do it, no one was going to do it. And that calling right then, we went back, we resigned uh, at Convoy of Hope. 
and begin uh, the trip to be a missionary, and God has placed us there to where we're at today. Uh, I want to share with you just a little bit about the struggle that, that we're in in El Salvador so that you understand it more. You hear about the MS-13 gangs, and I feel bad that they're here in the United States, but they started in the United States. They started in Los Angeles whenever there was immigration, and uh, gang, uh, young people came to Los Angeles uh, defending territory, and so that's where the gangs started, and then were exported back to El Salvador. But right now, there's approximately 70 to 80,000 gang members active. Uh, anywhere from 20 to 25,000 of those are in prison. We have one of the worst prison systems in the world. Um, uh, of those, 60 or excuse me, 70 to 80,000 gang members, uh, they also have family members that depend on what they earn, their extortion or the rent money that, that they ask for. And so you have another uh, almost 500,000 people that are connected with those gang members, brothers and sisters, mom, aunts, uncles, uh, whatever. And so we have almost 8% of our country. Gang members control every area. Uh, I live in the area of the school and, and the church. Uh, when I, uh, I have a route that I do, I'd be doing my route this morning already in my pickup, uh, four-door pickup, and I go and I pick up people. Uh, my record is 30 people in my truck. Or that, if you can imagine that in a pickup truck. But uh, as I go out and, and, and out my gate and into the community that's right next to me, there the gang members are. They're there with a cell phone. They, they know where you go, where you come. In fact, we were inviting them several months ago to activity that we were going to have. We were doing an evangelistic outreach. And I stopped and said, man, we'd love to have you guys come. We're going to be giving away food and, and soccer balls and that type of thing as in our outreach. And uh, I stopped and I said, you know who I am, don't you? I said, yeah, we know who you are. You're a pastor of the Open Door Church. You're also our neighbor, and you live right here. We know all about you. And, you know, that can put fear in somebody. Or you can say, praise the Lord, they know me. I'm their friend. They're my gang members. And so um, that, that's a little bit about how you feel. I want to share just a, a quick story about that. I never, I didn't realize that I would be moving into that, that area because I've only been there about a little over two years. And uh, when we first started the school, the first year that we, that we started, one of the young men came in uh, um, into our school, and he was as white as a sheet. And he was in the office, and I went in and said, what's going on? And he said, well, when I came out of my house today, uh, there were gang members there in the street, and they pulled out a pistol and were, were going to shoot at me. And I started running, and, and I came over here, but I feel like they want to kill me. And so I said, well, when you go back home today, I'll go with you. I'll take you home, and we're going to find out what's going on here. And so I went with him, and as we went by, there they were. They're standing, and they still lived in the same place uh, uh, where they were. And so they started shouting uh, uh, filthy words at him and everything in the back of the truck. And I rolled down the window and I said, you know, I'll be back in just a minute. I'm going to take him home, but I'd like to talk to you. Come on, gringo. We want to talk to you. We want to, we want to. And as I took him to his house, I'm thinking to myself, God, what am I going to say? What, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know how to deal with this situation. I need you, Lord. And as I went back, I got out of the truck, and there were seven of them, seven of them standing there in front, of the, in front of the building. And I respectfully asked their name, shook their hand, told them my name, asked their age, and God began to flow through that. And I asked them, what, how, 
what, what year did you go to in school? One had been to first grade, the other had been to third grade, one had been to fourth grade. Only one out of the seven had actually finished school. And I began to see her, I said, you guys know me. You know that we built the school. This school could be for, for your family members. It could be for the guy's daughter that was standing right next to me because he had a daughter there. I said, this could be your school. But I need you to allow us to make a difference or they're going to end up like you on the street just hanging out here. And at the end of it, one of them, the spokesman, spoke up and said, all right, jefe. He said, you know what? We won't bother him again. And in the, the six years that we've had the school, they've never been bothered again. And now I live in that very same community where it had that confrontation. God works and does mighty things as, as we uh, uh, put it in his hands. In the, in the open door church, we started the church in a bar prostitution area as well. And uh, the idea there was just to reach out. There was not a church in the area and to bring in the youth and the children that, that we had there. And then God moved us up to the area that we're at today. We started out with just four families, and right now we're running about 350 in our congregation. God has used that. Uh, we just had um, um, the Friday after the first of the year. I'm already losing my calendar in my mind here. But we had all the youth and all the children come up, and they lined all the way uh, uh, three-quarters around the church, and we began to pray and anoint them and believe in them. And God has used that. If you come to our prayer time and our ministry time, you would see those children there in the front, many of them on their knees crying out to God, the young people as well. God has used the program uh, Royal Rangers. I know we don't have Royal Rangers in the States very much anymore. We have another program called uh, King's Castle that God is using mightily to reach out and touch the youth and the children. So whatever you may hear about El Salvador, uh, by Trump it was called one of the uh, bad word countries. Uh, that, that he tends to use, but we're not. You know what? Because God can take things and he can recycle them and he can remake them and he can do great things through them, but we have to believe and we have to go. And that's important. I want to share with you just a little bit this morning, and I'm going to run some stories as I do, but uh, out of Luke chapter 4, a uh, very familiar portion of scripture, and you don't really need me to preach to you, you guys have great preachers, but a uh, uh, familiar portion of Scripture for all of us. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I want to share three points with you this morning that I feel like are very important. One is power. Here you can see the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is just not upon the pastor. The Spirit of the Lord is just not upon the missionary. He's upon everyone, everyone that will accept him and receive that. And I was raised in a Pentecostal church, an Assembly of God church. I remember going with my dad years ago into the prayer room. They had prayer rooms back in those days. And, and being there and, and seeing the people speak in tongues, seeing the power of God fall. I remember receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a young man. But I want to tell you, that power back then is not enough for me today to sustain me from that time till now. I need the power every day in my life. We need the power of God every day in the life. I would not want to live in El Salvador. I would not want to try to minister. I would not want to try to do anything without the power of God evident and flowing through me. 
It's that important. We have a power struggle in what we're doing. When we first uh, uh, begin the school, when we were constructing the school, there are some gang members that arrived, and, and, and I was there in the construction. Uh, the gang member that arrived, his name is Nico. He's still there in the area. Uh, Nico's in a wheelchair, and you wouldn't think, well, that doesn't sound like a very threatening gang member that's in a wheelchair, but he has all his people with him. And he's in the wheelchair because he tried to rob a church and fell through the roof, landed on the floor, and broke everything uh, here in his pelvis. But Nico is somebody that grew up in church as a child, but has done so many things he believes that God can't forgive him. But he came and he said, hey, pastor, he said we need some cooperation from you, and I'm here to collect it. And I played dumb. I'm good at playing dumb. I, I said, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? He said, we need $300 today. $300. I, I know for living there that if someone asks you for money, it's going to be bigger next time or it's going to be a constant. You're, you're, you're on their list. And many people have to pay rent to live in their communities. They have to pay rent to pay their car to the gang members. They have to pay rent to go in and out. They have to pay rent to ride the bus. And it's, it's that pressure of somebody extorting them for money that they don't deserve and taken away from, from those that are poor. And I realized that, and I said, well, Nico, I, I can't give you the money because the money's not mine. Well, whose is it? I said, it's God's. And if you want it, you're going to have to ask him for it. Now, you can see there's a little bit of difference between pastor and I. I'm just a, I'm just a skinny runt, you know. We're the same height, but I've never been big. I've never been built. I've never felt... Uh, uh, um, you know, somebody that's strong is stand up and going to fight somebody, and you wouldn't be able to do that anyway. When we moved to El Salvador, my brother, who's a gun aficionado, he has pistols and rifles and teaches gun safety courses and everything. He said, what gun are you going to take down there to stand off the gang members? I said, I'm going to take this one right here that I got in my hands, the Bible, because that's the only thing you can take. That's the only thing that really protects you. And, you know, the Word of God is what protects us. And it's a power struggle that, that we're in, even here today in the United States, although we don't see it as much as being evident. And, and he said, well, God's money. And he said, well, I'm going to let you know, I'm not, I'm not the person asking for it. The people that are asking for it are in the prison. Everything is run, it's like the mafia is run in El Salvador out of the prisons. And the people come... Uh, uh, and they may extort money, but the order comes from somebody in the prison. To kill somebody, the order comes from somebody in the prison. And so he said, the next people that come aren't going to ask for the money. They're going to take the money. And I really felt the power of God rise up in me. I said, you know what it says in Psalms chapter 34, Psalms 91, that the angels of the Lord are around those who believe and trust in him. If you want the money, then you just tell them to go ahead and come. I'm not giving you anything. Six years have passed, six and a half years have passed. No one's ever come to get the money. No one's ever broken into the school. No one's ever, we have three computer labs, uh, valuable equipment in the school. No one's ever tried to cross the walls to come in and do anything because the angels of the Lord are around and protecting. That's the power of God in our lives. We realize that we need the power to break down the enemy's strongholds as well. Where we're at, uh, we're close to the old train line. The train doesn't operate anymore in El Salvador, and people have taken 
Uh, that might be like the train line, so people would build their homes right next to it, just a narrow passageway, and they would take over the land. And the government basically hasn't done anything, so they own that. And so we begin to go there, and I begin to walk the train line and begin inviting people, uh, gang members everywhere. And uh, they just sort of looked at me. We began to build homes there and got them involved in building the homes and helping us carrying the lumber and, and putting the work that needed, uh, never had seen an electric saw before or anything like that. And so uh, we got them helping us saw and, and working and doing something positive for the community. But I struggled because we had had some success way down the train line, but coming back the, this way towards our church, we had never had any success. And I was praying as I went in to get people for church. And I said, God, why am I not having any success? We've been going in. We've been doing ministry. We've been doing evangelistic outreaches. We've been uh, building homes, but I'm not seeing anybody come out of this area. And immediately the Spirit of God spoke to me, and he said, that's controlled by another spirit. You need to pray for that. Now, here in, in San Antonio, we don't think much about spiritual warfare, but it's real. It's true. Satan's right here in this service this morning because he comes, he tries to distract, he tries to do whatever he can. He's everywhere, and uh, he owns communities. His spirit resides wherever he's welcome, and we begin praying for those communities. We broke up our congregation. We have a prayer night on Monday night that runs anywhere from 150 to 200 people. And we break up into prayer groups and we'll pray over the different communities and specifically targeting them and praying to break down the strongholds of Satan. And, and we begin to see um, uh, young people come out of there. We begin to see families saved out of that area. And one of the main gang families there, we built a home for them. The mom came and accepted Jesus Christ. And that's changed the whole area, all through the power, the power of God. Second thing that you can see here in, in the book of Luke, chapter 4, is purpose. All of us know we have a purpose. If we didn't know that, Rick Warren has told us that, you know. Everybody has a purpose in their life. But you know what? The purpose of God for you, what is it? Is it just to be in church? Is it just to come and to sing? Is it just to read the word? Is it just to give an offering? Or is it to actually make a difference in the lives of everybody? We all have a purpose. About 51 years ago in Roseburg, Oregon, in a mission service as a little nine-year-old boy that, that went forward on, on, on the side over here behind the piano whenever they made a call and said, is there anybody willing to go? Timid, country boy, didn't, didn't really like to speak to anybody. And he knelt and he raised his hand like this and said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. That was the extent of his commitment. But as he began to realize God's purpose in his life, he never knew anyone from another race, from another culture, from another language growing up until he went to college. And God renewed that call and said, you remember that day that I called you? And then God has taken that young boy and then a young man and taking me back to El Salvador to be a blessing there. God had a purpose in my life, even as a young boy. Just like these young people that are sitting back there, the one that could tell me where El Salvador was located in Central America. You know what? God has a purpose in our life. 
and it may go years and years before we actually fulfill that purpose. I never thought I would be in El Salvador. I never had the idea that I would speak another language or would go into another culture or that the pupusas would be my favorite food. Never had that idea. But God did. And as long as I was willing and available, God was willing to take me. We used to sing an old song years ago, Jesus, use me, and please, Lord, don't refuse me. God doesn't refuse anybody. He would never refuse you. He would never refuse me. He wants us to go. He wants us to be. He wants us to reach out. That's his desire. God's purpose for for my life in El Salvador was to raise up the church, was to raise up the school. Just uh, last year, we started a culinary arts school. We're starting an English academy at the end of this month. All of these are to reach out to the young people to make a difference in their lives. One of those differences is Patty. Whenever we had uh, our school and just started, somebody had told me in the community, they said, well, man, I'm really proud of you, Brother Kenton, that you would have a single mother in your school. Single mom in our school? How, How could that be? And found Patty in fourth grade, 13 years old, had a baby. She had been raped at 12 by a, in a, a, by a school director in another part of the country. Fled there because of threats in their lives. I went to where they were living. They're living in a little black plastic shack, dirt floor, the wind blowing through, and trying to keep the baby alive. Her name is Joanna. And we began to reaching out to them, reaching out to them, and gave Patty an opportunity. Uh, uh, more to go to school for, for free because we sometimes we charge, right now we're charging $4 a month for, for kids to go to school if they, if they pay. And um, also begin blessing their family with food and trying to help them in some way. Today, you go to our church, there's Patty, there's Joanna. Joanna is now in seventh grade. Uh, excuse me, Joanna is now in, in first grade and Patty is already out of school, God's help, God's blessed, God's used that. But my purpose for going there was to touch Patty. And you can say, well, would we send you as a missionary to only reach out to one person? God did. Took Philip down the, the Damascus Road or down the, down the road uh, uh, going to the desert and to reach out to one person to make a difference in their lives. Our purpose is really important you have to know what you're going to do. Right here it says, he sent me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. On Thursday morning, I was in the youth prison. The very same young men that you saw here on the video are in that youth prison. They have young men from 13 to 23. And I remember the very first time that we went in, uh, to be honest, it scared me. To see all the tattoos and covered with tattoos, to see the 18, they have them everywhere uh, um, and here in their head and, and you shave their hair and there's a tattoo. And uh, these young men, and when we first went in, they're like, well, what do you guys want? What are you going to do? What difference are you going to make? But praise the Lord, we've seen change as we've been going into the youth prison. That's why we're building the halfway house, because the court system is willing to give us these young men that want to make a difference in their lives, that want out, that want out of the gang lifestyle, and, and take them into our system, rehabilitate them, train them, disciple them, and then put them back into society. 70% of the gang members want out of the gang lifestyle. 
a government study done by, with your tax dollars says that the evangelical church is the only way out of the game. There's a respect for the evangelical church. There's a respect for what God does. And they've been told, I've been told, Pastor, we don't touch the church. We know better. I don't understand why the opposing force of Satan stops right there other than the power of God. But God took me also to make a difference in the lives of those young men and gang members. I was talking with Juan Carlos on Thursday. Juan Carlos has accepted Christ. Juan Carlos has five years to serve. He's a young man, 16 years old, and, and five years to serve in the youth prison. It's nothing fancy. It's, it's just very bleak there. There's nothing to do, nothing, nothing to, to break up the monotony. And so we've started a baking program, a carpentry program. We started an agriculture program inside the youth prisons to try to help them and, and uh, are beginning the program Living Free, uh, which is also here in the States, so that they can have freedom, as it, as it mentions right here. We have one young man, one man in our church, Fernando, who's out of that gang lifestyle, who came out of the prison, and right now is in our church, right now is teaching the children and working with the youth, because God's made a tremendous difference in his life. As well, it talks here about presence, and, and God needs us to be present in the world today. I can't touch El Salvador from the United States. I have to go and I have to be there. And many times as I go into the communities and, I, and I'm working with the children and youth, uh, I'll look down later, I'll see my pants all stained with their hands or their food that when they come up and the kids come to hug you. My, my, I remember going into a government office and, and I, I sat down, I had to, had to get some permissions and I looked down and my feet were just covered with dust because that's where I work. My pickup inside, and I have to clean it every week, just a layer of dust because that's, that's where we're at. But I can't do anything unless I'm there. A few years ago, another missionary and I, we went and we built a plastic house in one of the squatter communities, and we lived there for three weeks. Slept there, we ate there, we bathed there, everything, so that we could identify with the people. It takes presence. We have to be present in the community. And we have to have influence in the community. But we'll never have influence unless we're present. God's called us to go. God called me to go. God's called you to go. God's called me to do more. God's called you to do more. Well, you know what? I have my business. I have my work. I have my life. I have this. None of that is an excuse for the Lord. He's called us to do more ministries ex right wherever you find it, right in front of you, the neighbor next to you. That's one of the things that I'm amazed about the United States. God's brought the mission field to the United States, brought it right to your doorstep. Think of how many cultures live right here in San Antonio. Well, I don't speak another language. You don't have to speak another language. You have the greatest language. It's a smile. It's the love of God. That's a language that, that others can't, can't imitate. God's called us to do that and to reach out to others. Well, I don't understand the other culture. Well, learn about it. Enjoy it. That's what God has called us to do. And, and I talked about pupusas. If you've never tried a pupusa, man, you're, you're missing out. You need to go, not papooses. Papooses are baby Indians. We don't eat them, okay? It's pupusas. So, uh, it's a delicious food, tortilla, cheese, and beans, and, and uh, uh, meat inside, and then it's grilled, and some marinated cabbage. 
uh, and salsa, and I had it four times this past week. So just to let you know, I had to store up before I came up here to the United States. But you know what? That food and that culture, it's all part of it. Enjoy it. When I was, lived here in San Antonio back in the early 80s, um, uh, I lived in some apartments over here on the north side, and uh, our neighbors were from Iran. And uh, they were, I think they were, had a connection with the Air Force Base. And so we invited them over to eat, and then they invited us over to eat. And when they invited us over to eat, they had a, a big plate of food. And uh, I thought, well, where's the, the plates and the forks and the knives and everything? There weren't any. Everybody reached in and got what they wanted, and that's how they ate it. And we're not accustomed to that uh, necessarily. But you know what? It taught me a very important lesson. We have to be willing to be flexible as Christians. We're not flexible in our faith. We're flexible in our culture. We're not flexible in, in, in the promises of God, but we are flexible in how we view other people. And God can use us and do something through us. It says to proclaim the year of the Lord. What are we proclaiming today? I'm proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm proclaiming that he's powerful. I'm proclaiming that he can save the gang members. I'm proclaiming that he can change an MS-13 or an 18th Street gang and make them a young man or a young woman of Jesus Christ that can be used of him. I'm proclaiming over the children that are there that, that they're mine. And as I go down and I walk many times a platform while they're there and I'm praying for them as they're there in the front. And I say, God, give me this child. Give me this child. Give me Judith. Judith is a, is a little girl. She's on, on, on the front of my prayer card here. And, and beautiful little girl. She lives with her grandmother because both of her mom, her mom and dad are in prison because they're gang members. And she's going to our church. She's going to our school. And I said, give me Judith. Don't let her follow in the same pathway. God, give me that person. And we have to believe the same thing. Give me my neighbor. Give me those that are around me. Give me my family that doesn't know Jesus Christ yet. And God uses us to be present in the world. We're the flavor. We're the odor of Jesus Christ. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light. And I realize that if I weren't there, and I look back and I say, what if I hadn't gone? What, what if I hadn't when I was there with, with your pastor and I heard the words of God in my head? What if I said, no, that's not me, Lord? Would there be a church? Would there be a school? Would there be anybody working in the youth prisons? Would there be anybody trying to do something to reach out to the gang members? Think about the what-ifs in your life. What if you don't do what God has called you to do? What if you don't become his power and his purpose and his presence in the world today? May God use us. May God send us. May God flow through us to make a difference for Him. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.